You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 18 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, full-time British basketball advocate, Sam Nita. Got a good conversation today with Matthew Bryan and Manning. That's the GB forward. Obviously didn't suit up um, this summer in the Eurobasket 2017 qualifiers, um, which we went into in the interview, so I'll let him explain why. Um, but has been one of our strongest performing Brits playing overseas over the last few years since he turned pro out of Washington. Um, has won multiple championships and put up solid numbers pretty much wherever he's been. Uh, so yeah, this was a, a really good conversation uh, talking about everything ranging from uh, him growing up uh, in Brixton with Justin um, all the way through to high school, college um, and in similar vein to the Kieran Achara interview that we did, uh, we didn't actually get a chance to go into too much detail into his professional career so he has agreed to come back on for a part two that we're going to try and record in the next few weeks. Now, I'm going to say this now because I know everyone's going to complain, but he's obviously playing in Japan this season and he was in a hotel. Uh, He had an away game uh, that weekend and so the Wi-Fi connection he was on was terrible. Um, The call actually dropped four times. So this is four different uh, audio files that I've now spliced together to try and make one flowing conversation. Um, but there were multiple issues, and I've, I have gone through it and tried to remove the parts where we completely lose him, but uh, there are still parts which are a little bit dodgy, which you're going to have to just try and bear with the conversation until it kicks back in again. Uh, the vast majority of the conversation is okay. Like I said, I have listened to it, um, but there are parts that are terrible, and unfortunately, there's not a lot I could do about it. Um, it was purely down to the, the Wi-Fi connection we're on, and we've agreed that for part two, we're going to do it when he's at home, uh, not on the road, and so the Wi-Fi will be good and strong, and we can have a much better audio uh, for the entire interview. Now, before I get into this week's show, um, I do want to say that we have entered into a competition, the Aviva Community Fund, um, for the Hoops Fix All-Star Classic, our annual event, which is a junior British basketball showcase of the best players up and down the country. We have applied uh, for up to £25,000 in funding, which will really take the event to the next level. Uh, we've been doing it three years now. 2017 will be the fourth year. <coughs> uh, historically, we've, we've run it off um, ticket sales and uh, a group of small sponsors. But um, we're limited uh, until we get more money. And this is one of the best sources of potential income that we've found. And the way it works is we've got a page um, that we need the public to vote on. If we end up as one of the top four most voted um, projects, we then go in front of a judges panel who then decide who the winning project will be. So we need you to vote. Now, I don't ask a lot of you. I feel like I give a lot of free content away all the time. Um, This is my one request. If you can go to hoopsfix.com forward slash vote, hoopsfix.com forward slash vote, you'll get redirected to our page on the Aviva Community Fund website. There you can register and you get 10 votes. Please put all 10 towards the Hoopsfix All-Star Classic um, and I will love you forever. 
if you can then share the page, spread the word with your friends. Um, like I said, the URL is hoopsfix.com forward slash vote. Please vote. It will be much appreciated and make a massive difference in us being able to continue doing what we're trying to do um, in terms of shining a light on a sport that doesn't get a lot. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, it's a long intro, so I'm going to wrap it up here. Um, have a listen. Let me know what you think. As always, email address sam at hoopsfix.com. All my social media profiles at hoopsfix. Uh, you can reach us on there. Um, and yeah, do give us feedback and I'll leave you here with my conversation with Matthew, Brian and Manning. We're honoured to be here with Matthew, Brian and Manning. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, man. And how are you? How is uh, Japan treating you? I can't complain. So far, so good. Um, in a nice little city, so as long as i got a good place to to. to be in a good city to be in um, everything's usually good on my side has it been uh, any part of it being a bit of a culture shock like i assume it's pretty different to other places that you've played yeah but um what's different for me i, I was in south korea for a couple of months so yeah. i kind of got used to how things work and how the basketball style is and how guys kind of use their import so um yeah it hasn't been too bad for me and how is the team doing so far this season? Um, so far, so good. Um, six and zero. Um, majority win blowouts. Uh, I think our closest win was nineteen points. Uh, my biggest has been like forty something. So, wow. I, yeah. remember, I remember. Can you explain? Um, you know, we've spoken about it a couple of times. Kind of what's happened this year? There was like a there was the stuff with fever with the um Japanese professional league federation staff and then they had to split up the league can you explain exactly kind of what's happened um all right last year um there was the BJ league and the NBL um two independent leagues um FIBA come into the situation over the summer and said that they can't have two independent leagues they have to be a tiered one set governing body and a tiered group so division 1 division 2 division 3 um, so they put together what they've called the B League, which is the whole figure. And then obviously Division 1 is B1, Division 2 is B2, Division 3 is B3. Um, each team had certain criteria to um, to be in certain divisions. Um, the top teams obviously have the biggest arenas, can hold a certain amount of people, have a certain amount of um, sponsorship money and whatnot. Um, majority the teams in the top league are companies, uh, whether it be Toyota, Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi, um, like you name them, um, big Japanese corporations. They usually are the top league sponsors. Um, our team, um, we're in B3, but um, it's because we didn't fit certain criteria under that. Um, talent-wise, um, we have players that have been Division One. Um, players, um, local players that is Japanese players, that are Division One talent level. Um, one of my starting point guard won the championship in the top league uh, last year, so it just shows like the talent that we have is obviously exceeding our league, which is why our games have been such blowouts so far. So, um, so, so, but, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's almost just, like any. Um, have, it's almost like any other year. Yeah. Sorry, it's, it's almost like any other year. You would. Um, you would normally be in the top flight, and if you so, if you were to actually this season, if you were to play a team from the top 
division, you'd be able to compete. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, one of my teammates, um, his name's Josh Peppers. He's been playing in Japan for ten years, the last ten years. Uh, um, he tells me all the time he'll be we'll be a top three or four team in the top league. Um, one of the team best, I think six and two, seven and two or something like that. Um, right now, we beat in the preseason. So oh. and they're in the top league. So um, definitely be competing. We'd be trying to win the championship, obviously, if we was in there. But obviously, because of certain criteria, he wasn't in the right league. So um, our new owner is just um, doing what he has to do to um, make it all the way to the top league. And essentially, he wants to win the top league within the next three, two, three, four years. So essentially, it's just get to the top division as soon as possible. That's kind of like the goal. Yeah, pretty much. And our coach actually harps on it now. Like, we'll be blowing the team out by 20. And he'll be like, yeah, but this wouldn't work in the top league. And even though it's obviously two, two years down the line where we could be in the top league, he's harping on it from day one yeah. and um, doesn't expect anything less from us. How is it for you mentally? You know, clearly that the competition level maybe isn't as high as um, as you've played in, in previously. You know, I'm looking at your stats now and... You've had, you know, two 25-point games, 18 points, 19 points, 11 rebounds, 8 rebounds, 4 or 5 assists. Like, you're obviously putting up good numbers and stuff. Um, you know, for you as a competitor, does it, take, does it make it more difficult to get up for games and stuff when the level that you're used to isn't quite there? Um, personally, for me, what's different about this team is we have certain rules um, for imports. So we have, um, our team has three imports. Um, but in the first and the third quarter, you're only allowed one import on the court. In the second and the fourth quarter, you're allowed two imports on the court. So essentially, all three of us can't actually play at the same time. So what I'm doing and my stats and whatnot are very limited minutes, Um, which for me is actually better where you focus in while you're on the court instead of you know, being out there for 35 minutes and I could have, I don't know, 20 points, which is a good stat line, but having to focus in for 20 minutes or 22 minutes to go out and do my job and be efficient with it at the same time also helps me concentrate and just be ready. Um, Obviously, we play the same guys every day and day in and day out in practice, so going against somebody else in different competition, um, you're always able to get up for it. Are the, I'm assuming those import rules are in place for the development of their own homegrown players. Yeah, um, you have them in different 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 countries, but um, just this these are the rules for um, Japan. How how good would you say the actual domestic players are as opposed to the imports? Oh, there's a just, um, drastic difference, but the um, what it is is that. Most obviously, it's Asia. Has sounds so um, so stereotypical, but obviously, the stereotype of Asia is a lot of people are short. So, like majority of the um, imports are your position. So, I'm going up game in and game out versus an American or whoever um, right. when I'm playing. But um, also, just me being me, being a scorer. Um, I do get doubled a lot and um, they try and get the ball out of my hand. So it's just about making the right decision and making the right reach throughout the game. Okay. So I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Um, you know, GB have just finished their uh, Eurobasket 2017 qualifying campaign. Um, yeah. 
you you know you weren't able to be there. You said on you said on Twitter that um, you had family commitments and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how, how difficult was that for you? Um, are you hoping to be involved uh, next summer? Did you watch the games this year? Like, what were your thoughts? Um, yeah, watched the games this year. Um, congrats to those guys. Um, still consider myself part of the GB family. Um, I believe that the staff and players also do. A lot of the guys are asking me already about next summer and if I'm going to be around for the campaign. Um, I think just myself and GB have had some incidents in the past where we haven't always been on the same page or eye to eye and some people, um, may think I'm doing something wrong to the GB or GB's doing something wrong to me. I just think that once we do get on the same page, everything will be okay um, in the future. Um, you don't know. The, the the thing with playing in GB is it's hard to plan your summers. Obviously, myself and a lot of guys that are playing abroad, we're away from our families. And obviously, we try to plan stuff, holidays and vacations with our families and obviously our off time. And obviously, that's the same time as GB. Um, like obviously next summer I don't think the draw is until November so um, I've held off for making any plans until at least the draw's done but um, it's just tough to kind of plan your summer your only free time two months out of the year um, at the last minute um, if you don't always find out what's going on with GB until the last minute so not um, anything bad on their part but even with it be European competition um finding out November, December, when other people are booking their holidays for next summer now. Um, it's just tough to kind of wait um, wait out to see what's going on. Yeah. And of course, <clears throat> last time, um, the last time you were involved was 2014 with the Eurobasket 2015 qualifying campaign when they played yeah. Iceland and Bosnia. Um, and there, you know, minutes were hard to come by. Like, what, what do you think that was? Is that the kind of stuff you're referring to when you say that you haven't been on the same page with, with the programme? Um, yeah, um, there's been a lot um, over the years, um, but just stuff like that. Um, I don't know, guys that have seen me play, teammates, um, even other players on the staff, have, um, or other people on the staff have thought I would deserve it of more minutes than I have been given, and all I can say is um, I can't control what's not in my control. Um, it's not up to me how many minutes I play. It's about me doing my job when I'm on the court. Um, if I do turn up, obviously, um, I want to play. Anybody that knows me and sees me on the court knows I'm a fiery um, fiery guy and I play with a lot of emotions on my sleeve and everybody knows that I'm playing with my heart. So they know I'm a, comp- a competitor and all my teammates know that I'm like that. So if I do turn up um, or if I do show up or if we're able to get on the same page with that retrospect, I just hope that um, obviously minutes wise that I'm able to be there because I think I could make a real positive impact. What um, what were the conversations like? I'm assuming that you, you know, after, after that campaign, you would have had a conversation with Joe Prunty maybe or, or kind of sat down and kind of discussed like, what was it that he said? Cause I, I remember at the time there was a lot of people asking, um, you know, a lot of fans were saying, oh, you know, why is Matthew not playing and whatever else. So I was, I was just wondering, you know, what what was the conversation with Prunty? You know, what did he say to you about it? Um, he kind of has his own version of, of his things. Obviously, I have my own version of things. Um, I'm very, 
I'm very straightforward when it comes to that sort of stuff. I'll go up to him and ask him um, what's going on. But um, for for our situation, it was more as I was late turning up to camp. Um, I think that the year I went to summer league, um, and the guys were more have were further along in the whether it be preparation than I was um, at the time, and um, that it was just tough. Obviously, I'd beaten out some people, um, even though I came late. But um, once it came down to it, he kind of had his roles already set, and obviously. Um, guys like Dan, Kieran that have been there in the um for the for the last two or three years or two years I believe before that with Pronty um since the Olympics. Um they knew Pronty and Pronty knew them. Whereas it was my first time with Coach Pronty and um trying to find out kind of what my role is with the team and what it would be. Um another guy Ashley, um Ashley Hamilton, um kind of the same situation. Um First year dealing with Pronti and um, very talented guy coming off a strong year the year before and not really getting a chance to show his ability in games. Um, but obviously, um, everything happens for a reason and um, we kind of moved on. We spoke about it. We've spoke since um, and he's still um, still highly um, he's still highly involved with um, me coming in coming into um, GB camp next summer. Okay, so you're still you're in regular contact with him now and talking to him about the program and whatever else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we still speak. He keeps up. Um, obviously, the last few years I've been playing all over the place and been winning, so he's been um, keeping in contact um, just to let me know that he's been watching, keep playing how I've been playing, and keep being aggressive and um, just keep keep doing how keep being me. To be honest, would you say in any you know when I you know look at all the the British players playing abroad, um, and I think it's pretty fair to say that you you've had the most uh, team success in terms of championships and winning and, and whatever else. Is there any part of you that feels um, kind of overlooked in in that aspect? Um, yeah, but I can't change anybody else's opinion. Um, I, I just got to go out there every day and do what I do. Um, anybody. I know, Knows me, knows I'm confident in the sport. I've been like that since I was a kid playing, playing this game. So I just go out there and um, handle my own business. If you guys want to overlook me, that's up to them. Um, whether it's, it's kind of been like that from every every um, aspect of my my career, to be honest. Um, from what I did in college, um, I don't think a lot of British guys or um, had done what I did um, at the level I did it at in college. Um, as a pro, um, everybody kind of looks at Europe as a base set if you're not in the NBA, but um, I had a few years and solid years in Europe, um, and um, I found a new opportunity, and I just kind of took it in stride and went with it. Um, obviously, um, Latin America has been very good to me, um, playing a few years and, and winning a couple championships out there too. So, um, I don't know. I just try and go out there, and every everywhere I go, everybody knows I'm a winner, and I want to win, and I play to win and I kind of show it every day in practice um, behind closed doors when people are not seeing the games but um, that's one thing all my coaches have always said when when practice is going on we could be in a shooting drill I'm far from a shooter but I'm ready to win I want to win a shooting drill we're running sprints I'm always up I'm one of the first ones in that because it's just my natural competitive nature yeah um, 
I'm conscious of t- time goes on. These things, that whenever I do these things, the time goes so quickly. There's so many things I want to talk about, and I'm like, oh, you know, we've got an hour. Like, um, so I, I do before <clears throat> before before we go into all the professional career stuff, which I, I do want to talk about. I, I would also like to go right back to the start um, because actually, I, I don't know a lot about your uh, super early career in England before before you left. Um, yeah. You know, I, I remember growing up and seeing you on Streetball.co.uk on all the mixtapes. Um, shout out Greg Tanner and Streetball.co.uk. Um, <laughs> can we uh, talk about kind of like, you know, what what was your first introduction to the game? How old were you when you first started playing? And what was it that made you start playing? Um, to be honest, it was my older brother. Not many people know that. Um, not many people um no, outside of the Brixton community family, know um, about my older brother. Um, he played, he started when he was about 12. He's eight years older than me. And obviously, the same way Brixton has a kids group now, they have the, they had it back then. And um, he wanted to do a different sport other than football. You know how it is um, up in England. Um, and we ended up, uh, my mum ended up finding Brixton Recreation Centre, Jimmy Rogers and the Brixton Top Cats set up. And she just took me, used to take me down there every Wednesday from the age of about four. Uh, um, like I said, as my older brother wanted to try it out at the age of 12, um, and I, I just fell in, the, fell in love with the game since then, and just ever been playing since. Wow, that is uh, super young. Um, what, would you, what would you say it is about Brixton? You know, Brixton has now produced all these guys. You know, there's the kind of your core group of you, Eric, Justin, <coughs> Ogo, Luau, obviously. Um, what what do you think it is that sets Brixton apart? Like why why has it produced so many guys? Um, is it Jimmy or is it uh, something else? Um, between Jimmy, Jimmy and, uh, um, and the Brixton program, um, you might not even know his name. Um, Jabbar was uh, like our trainer, to be honest. Um, Jimmy got a lot of the recognition. Not saying he didn't deserve it. But um, Jimmy got a lot of the recognition because he was more of the face of the program. He coached us during games. Because, see, um, Jabbar wouldn't coach us during the games. He would just be there literally every practice session and take us through our stuff. And um, just the mindset, um, the old school, work hard. Uh, um, and a lot of kids, inner city kids would go there and um, it would be not just basketball. It would be more like live lessons and instilling uh, a kind of work ethic, or the right type of work ethic. I don't think that um, South London kids necessarily had any more talent in terms of basketball than East London kids, White Heat kids, or um, Ealing kids from West London, or uh, even up north, up in um, Birmingham and Manchester and whatnot. It's just um, the work ethic that was instilled in us from young ages um, was was great. Obviously, I had guys... um, you talk about myself, Justin, Ogo, Eric, whatnot. Um, Ogo and Eric later, but myself and Justin, obviously I said I've been there from the age of about four or five. Justin joined Brixton about eight or nine. Um, by the time we were playing 10, 11, 12, um, Jimmy had us practicing with um, guys that are six, um, five, six years older than us. Um, the Marcus Knights, the Sean Grays, the Jaffa Larkas. Um, we kind of played with them and it kind of gave us that objective like all right well if we have to play with them we have to be as good as them maybe not this second but they held us accountable we're doing drills if we make a mistake the whole team's running 
and at 10, 11, 12, and you're doing drills, you're not physically as strong or as fast as guys that are um, um, 16, 17, 18, but they still expected us to do the exact same thing as them. And I think that helped um, install our drive and our, our capabilities of becoming better players. You talk about work ethic and stuff. What kind of hours were you putting in back then? How often were you practicing both as a team and individually? Um, you know, how many shots were you getting up? Like, what what kind of like was a a regular um, sort of daily routine as a teenager coming up? Um, teenage years. Well, let's let's start let's start let's start eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Like, kind of, what point did it start getting serious? Like, what point did it change, if if at all? Um. Well, obviously. Um, young, young age. Uh, um, I was only going twice a week. Uh, yeah. um, um, Wednesdays was usually six to eight. Uh, Friday six to seven thirty. Um, and then as we got older, um, Jimmy started us having us practice with the men. Um, once I got to, I guess, just before teens, early teens, Jimmy had us um, training with the men and. Uh, and so instead of going two hours an evening, I'll be end up by four hours, six to eight, eight to ten with the men. Um, same thing, um, same sort of times on a Friday. But um, we didn't have the access um, to gyms as as they do now. Um, it wasn't about getting shots up per se, um, per day, but... Um, I just remember we used to go to different gyms. Jimmy used to have a lot of, of um, capabilities for getting us gyms. So, like, as I got older, I remember practicing, like, maybe I think it was a Monday at um, BTG, Bishop Thomas Grant um, in Streatham. Um, Tuesday, going to Norwood Girls School. Having practice at Norwood Girls School Wednesday. being two hours, um, four hours um, on a Wednesday, probably three and a half, four hours on a Friday. Um, on top of games at the weekend. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much at them ages. That at them ages, that's pretty much what it was. I did do a stint because Brixton didn't have a national league team or anything, or they didn't have anything under the age of sixteen. Um, while I was about ten, eleven, um, I did a stint with London Towers, um, kind of like on loan. I guess um, if you put it in today's terms uh my mom told them that i'm with brixton i've been there from day one but um, london towers is actually closer to my house where i grew up and um she wanted me to actually play in games to have some type of game um to have some type of game um atmosphere i guess yeah um experience um so i played under 12s and under 14s from about the age of 10 i think um, at london towers for a couple of years and that's kind of how I got into the England setup because um, England didn't really know about the young kids at Brixton because we didn't have any real teams, um, real so teams back then. What did, did Brixton just have a senior team back then? They had um, under sixteens, but it was just local league, London league, um, and then they just had the under eighteens, um, under eighteens and men's. Oh wow! And who were you playing for under at, at Towers? Mick uh, Lloyd, I think, was a coach. Yeah, Mick Lloyd, uh, Warren Bob. Um, but that's how I got, um, end up becoming good friends with um, Clayfield Harris. Um, we were around the same age. He was playing for that team. Um, Daniel Raymond, I don't know if you guys remember him, um, point guard. Um, 
back in the day they used to have a conversation with who was the best point guard um our our age group was between him and uh matt guyman personally um i thought it was justin but obviously people didn't know about justin because like i said brixton didn't have a nationally known program yeah um at that at them at those ages and so then when you got a bit older then you started playing for did uh, did you then start playing for brixton under 16s at the age of 11, my first game, which is the reason why we're at number 11. My first official game for Brixton was um, 11 years old, playing under-16s. Oh, wow. And like, yeah. were you big then? Like, Had you already grown, or did the growth spurt come later? Um, I was always tall for my age. Um, but people know how young I was. That was the thing. Um, I've got pictures, um, <laughs> which is hilarious. I'll probably have to send you one. I'll find yeah. uh, um, I'm Brendan Donlan uh, um, was a great point guard that we had uh, and I think he was 15 and we were about the same height uh, Justin's in the picture Justin's um, what, seven months older than I am and he's like up to my chest <laughs> um, he was the one he was the one everybody kind of knew once they realised how old I was realised I was tall for my age I think he was the one that shot up because he was at like five I don't know five, 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 six. And then older guys, Laken, Flo, um, went to the States and came back and Justin was like 6'2". And they were like, what happened to him? <laughs> so um, for him, I think he shot up more real quick for myself. Um, I kind of just um, was always tall, but people didn't just realize how young I was. Um, 13, 14, 15, because I've always played older age groups. Um yeah. And then when guys went on to under-18s and whatnot, and I'm still playing, um, they're like, hold on, how old are you? And I'm like, 13. <laughs> they're like, yeah. um, always older guys, uh, they kind of just assumed I was their age. Uh, they helped me as well. Playing with so much growing up. It was only until the guys got older, John, tallest guy, kind of put me inside. Yeah, the connection's getting a little bit dodgy here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's jumping in and out. We'll, we'll keep going and, and hopefully it will kick back in in a minute. Um, at, at, uh, so, you know, you're obviously always playing up. Um, age groups and stuff you know at 11 years old and you're playing under 16s were you still contributing like what sort of numbers were you putting up then at what point was it like you started dominating um I've always that's the worst part I've always felt like I was good for my age obviously but um I always felt I was good or better than competition um Back then, obviously, I got selected at 11. No, I think it was 12, 12, 13. Um, got selected for the under, under 14s England team. Um, and that team, the 88 kind of generation team, was per, um, pretty much just me and Dan Clark. Um, you would see the box score, and me and him would have between 15 and 20. And then the next highest person would have like maybe seven or something yeah. like that. So um, we would be kind of like the two dominant guys on the court. Um, and I think that's how our, our relationship started because 
um, we we played against each other. Um, it was when I went to Towers. Um, we had played against each other, and then we became teammates, obviously, and were the better two on the team uh, at a young age for England. Um, when I could say dominate, um, like I said, it was only local league which we played. Um, when I played my own age group with Towers, um, I was one of the main guys. I played um, average big numbers. Um, what sort of numbers were you having? What sort of performances were you having at that age? Um, 20 point games. Okay. Um, 20, 25, um, uh, which is why I got seen um, at the time for England. Um, juniors, uh, under six, oh, cadets under 16s. Um, it was local league, so obviously the talent wasn't as good that we were playing against. So me being um, 11, 12, 13, I was still having 15, 16, yeah. um, 20-point games. Um, what people didn't realize was um, we started playing maybe at the age of 14. Um, myself and Justin at, um, at the time. You're going to hear a lot of that, myself and Justin. Kind <laughs> of growing up, we were like the... Um, inseparable everybody knew us as Justin and Matthew if you saw Matthew somewhere you saw Justin if you saw Justin somewhere you saw Matthew yeah but um Jimmy had um had us at the age of about 14 I think started playing men's um uh, for Brixton what what division then, what division were Brixton in back then um one or two I can't remember to be honest okay. one or two okay and so what what happened from there like can you talk me through like you know, I don't even know what age. I know, obviously, you ended up uh, ultimately going to um, to America and going to high sc- high school to South Kent. I think it was. Um, yeah. yeah, South Kent. So, what, what like what kind of happened from the age of sort of twelve, thirteen? What was your which different teams did you play for in England? And then when did the move come about? And kind of how did it all happen? Um, all right. So, um, like I said, pretty much played at the Towers um, until eight. But then, obviously, um, Brixton had started um, in a weekend and whatnot. So I went back to Brixton. Uh, age of 14, I said, we started playing men's 15. Uh, 14, I was playing, uh, but I was the guy on the were kind of the young guys, but when they won the gone up to fifteen years, um become my eighteen team. Um with that round that's why it was kinda of our team. I think you averaged like thirty apiece um on that team. And um Jimmy had um, got in contact with a guy by the name of Clyde Vaughan. Um he was assistant coach at Yukon at the time. To, um, come check out, um, come check me out. I said, I've got a kid. He's 15 right now. He's about six, 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 seven. Um, I think he's got a chance to make it in the states and whatnot. So he came over and come to one of our practice, which was kind of weird at the time because it happens now um, that college coaches come to see kids and whatnot and what age groups. But back then, you didn't really hear of a the assistant coach of UConn's men's basketball at Brixton Gym checking out a kid. Um, so he'd see me, obviously, I was too young to go to UConn at the time, but he got me in touch with the prep school coach, um, Rafael Chilios, which is um, South Kent School, which I ended up going. 
um, for the following year. My mum wanted me to finish my GCSEs before I left. So, uh, yeah, that finished. You know, so I know kids stay in school, finish finish your GCSEs, get your school grades. Because in the States, obviously, if you don't have grades, that was the age of they didn't have GCSEs and not been able to go. Um, but, yeah, um, at the age of 23, it was pretty much set up for me to get to prep school. Yeah, signal's going a little bit dodgy again. Okay, cool. So can we talk a little bit about the your progression, um, the teams that you played for in England growing up, kind of at each age group, and then how that moved to the States first came about? Yeah, so um, about the age of 10, 11, um, playing for London Towers under 12s, under 14s. Um, played there for a few seasons. Um, then kind of, as they knew, um, as I was getting older, um, going back to play for Brixton. Um, the meantime, I was pre- I'm training um, two, three times a week with Brixton anyway. Um, but just kind of getting game experience at a young age uh, where Brixton didn't have teams. Um, now getting to age um, 13, 14, um, I was playing um, local league, London league, um, for Brixton under 16s, um, getting some time national league and um, the latter years, 14, um, started to get some time um, at the men's. Um, I believe they were Division One or Division Two. I can't be, um, remember at the time um, the exact um, league they was in, but yeah, um, playing for the men's. Um, Fourteen, um, getting some burn, getting some 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 spotty minutes um, with the men, and um, getting some good minutes um, at junior level, national league, and obviously playing and contributing a lot at under sixteen. Um, I think. We kind of took over, or it became myself um, and Justin Robinson, our team, as juniors, um, under-18s at about the age of 14, 15. Um, 15. Um, the year before I went to the States, um, we I think we averaged about 30 apiece um, at the under-18 level and um, playing good minutes with the, with the men's team. Um, me going to the States came about at the age of 15 when um, Jimmy Rogers... Um, I contacted um, a friend of his um, talking about possible kids going to the States and um, the year before I'd taken my GCSEs um, Clyde Vaughan, the assistant coach um, at the time of UConn um, University of Connecticut men's basketball had come to Brixton, come see me and um, like what he'd seen um, obviously at the age of 15 I'm too young to go to university so he had kind of got in contact with um, a prep school um, nearby in Connecticut um, prep school being South Kent and their head coach Rafael Chilios um, it was kind of by ear to be honest um, he hadn't seen me play and obviously back then you don't really have much game tape or whatnot, so he hadn't really seen me play but um, the assistant coach at UConn telling you've got a, a talented kid on your um, on your hands um, and kind of just took it and he, um, gave me a scholarship um, to prep school and what was the like? How good was um, South Kent like considered as in terms of like sort of national standings and wherever else like uh, as as a basketball program at that point? Oh, um, at that point, powerhouse. Um, each year I was there. Um, I was there from my sophomore year, so sophomore, junior, senior year. We was ranked in the top ten. Um, 
my sophomore year we was top five. My senior year we was top five. Um, we fell out the rankings, um, the top five of the rankings. Um, I think we actually might have fallen out the top ten. Um, my junior year we had a disappointing year, but um, other than that year, but um, yeah, my first year my teammate was um, Andre Blatch. Um, okay. I ended up being a prep um, prep to pro guy. Um, went straight to the league from from South Kent. Um, obviously he was our main guy. Um, and just, you know, talent wise, we, um, we had some of the best teams that I've ever played on, like just up and down talent level for your age group and whatnot. Uh, we had some great teams. How did you personally find the transition from England to the States? <laughs> personally, um, it wasn't that difficult for me. Um, a lot of times, um, I was on par, if not um, as or more athletic than kids my own age group, um, which a lot of the times that that is what the biggest um, problem is for kids coming from England, um, that they have to adjust everybody's this much more bigger, this much stronger, this more um, athletic and jump higher. But I was an athletic kid myself, so um, that wasn't a big problem. Um, when I left... Um, England um, at age of 16 um, by the time I came home Christmas I was ranked nationally in maybe the top 30 top 40 in the country in my year um, oh, wow. I think it was more to do with the fact that um, my school was very very obviously South Kent was very well known and we was one of the best schools in the country and to be honest my numbers wasn't great my sophomore year I probably only averaged about six to eight points per game but Obviously, I'm getting seen by every scout in the country because I've got NBA programs looking at Andre Blatch. And then yeah. we have five five to eight Division One, um, Division One um, level guys um, getting recruited. So everybody's seeing me. Um, I was just kind of like the young kid on the team. I was the only sophomore, whereas everybody else were juniors, seniors or postgrads. How did you how did you find it culturally? Um... You know, was there any was there any things that you struggled with? Did you miss home at all? Um, first year, yeah, um, missing home was probably the biggest the biggest difference. But um, my mindset, to be honest, from a young age, is very different. Um, my mum always tells a story about at the age of eight years old. I told her when I'm old enough, I want to move to America and go to um, go to high school and college because I it was kind of like the norm, to be honest. Um, from what I've seen, um, I've seen guys older than me in the Brixton program do it, do it. So I just knew that's what I wanted to do. It kind of didn't matter as long as I was okay playing basketball. Like that was my life, and um, like obviously there's the same ball is life. But like literally, like my mum was worried. Like, like is he going to be okay? And like once I got there and she understood to the extent how I was with the game. Um, she was fine with it. Um, obviously, it's obviously nerve-wracking as a parent to leave your 16-year-old child to another country and go kind of live their life. But um, as long as I was playing basketball, she kind of knew I would be fine. Who were the who were the older Brixton players that you'd seen go to the States that you were kind of looking up to back then? Um, Lakeham Papula, um, Jafo Larkai, um, Rashid Quadri, Obviously, Edu, Luau, um, had all gone before me. Ugano, Wekwe. Um, yeah, 
a lot. Yeah, <laughs> there's 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 a lot of names. Um, like I said, if you're part of the Brixton family, you'll know exactly who each and every one of these guys are. But um, for us, like it was kind of like the norm. It's what we expected. It's like we get to a certain age and we're off. Um, yeah. Yeah. And how often were you coming home at that point? Um. Really, not that often. Well, at prep school, I came home Christmas. Um, schedule's a little different, um, obviously, compared to college. But um, I think I came home at Christmas one that first year. Um, summer, I would come back. I should have, because um, um, I was getting a lot of publicity. I should have ended up playing AU. But um, I'd come back because I just knew what um, kind of the English system. So I know I come back and play for the national team, obviously. Mm. I've done it the last few years and whatnot. So I kind of... Um, came back more than I think I should have to be honest um, in terms of I kind of lost um, my exposure I guess because um, guys would make their names in the AAU circuit obviously I got ranked and whatnot um, throughout the season because so many guys were coming to see me but then guys in the same age group was going head to head in the AAU circuit and I wasn't able to do that since I came home um in the first couple of summers, how was uh, how was all your junior national team experience? You know, I, I spent a bit of time this morning going through um, your history, and obviously, you know, you played under 16s, under 18s, under 20s. You had some ridiculous games. You had a 40, 41 point game um, mm. at one level. Like, you know, what are your memories of uh, sort of your junior national team experiences? Um. To be honest, I think Dan will tell you the same thing. It was just pretty much me and Dan. Um, no disrespect to anybody um, that we were playing with. But what I see now compared to what I see then is they have a, a bigger crop. Um, they're doing better because they have a better, um, a bigger field, I guess, um, of talented players. Um, I think the year above me, was very talented. Uh, like I said, Matt Guyman back then, um, Joel Freeland, Justin Robinson, Paul Guade, those guys, Ben Eves, at, at, the, at that age, um, you could have about, I don't know, six, seven, eight guys that were very talented. Majority of them went to the States to play basketball and whatnot. Um, our age group, um, like I said, passed um, myself and Dan, um, Ashley Hamilton came on the scene later um, after I'd gone to the States but um, at the young age um, those England teams um, I don't know if anybody's actually still playing basketball anymore yeah it's, um, not as a professional at least it is fascinating to look back and, and look at rosters and stuff and you see yeah you just see random names and you're just like oh, I've got no idea who this is uh, yeah, and it's yeah, it's always interesting to see who ends up actually coming out the other side um, mm -hmm. and sticking with it. So, so kind of you, I, I do. I want to rewind a little bit um, because I do want to talk about Streetwater at UK. Do you think mm -hmm. how much of a you know? I, I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this would have would have seen the mixtapes and you're you know playing playing uh, basketball, street ball, and you're mm -hmm. dribbling it through your legs and you're running it round. I remember that there was one clip where you put your arm behind your back and you were playing one-handed against some dude and um, how much of a 
of a role do you think that had in terms of your exposure um, and letting people know kind of about who you are and what you were doing? I think um, it's funny because different people see different sides. Um, obviously, Jimmy, the old school um, guy that Jimmy is, Jimmy Rogers, my coach, hated it. <laughs> um, which, as I'm older, I can understand it now. Yeah. Um, the guys that actually did, obviously, to them, it's just fun. You know, to me, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a 10, 11, 12, 13, growing up. I'm just a kid. I just want to play basketball. Um, one thing I think you'll get from any older guy that's ever seen me um, will tell you they can remember me. Big feet, big head, big ears, just dribbling the basketball on the side of the court. Like, I was always around the game. Like, that never wavered. Um, I was always around the game. So, whether it be street ball, whether it be proper basketball, whether it be whatnot, I was always around the game. Um, all that stuff for me, between the legs and all of that. Um, it always helped, to me, honest, to be honest. Um, I actually had a coach as a professional say so he had seen stuff of me from back then. And... <laughs> And he laughs because he's like, you play, obviously you play inside now, but he doesn't mind me catching the ball and pushing it on the break because he has trust in my ability to handle the rock. Um, same thing happens now. Um, if our point guards uh, denied or whatever, they don't mind me pushing the ball up the court and believe I'll make a good decision on the break, whereas other big men, they might not trust handling the rock. But... Um, yeah, for me, it was just, I just wanted to play. Um, Exposure-wise, it was great. Um, people up and down the country knew who I was. Um, I remember, I remember, it's just funny when you talk about um, exposure because I remember one year, I think we was up in Birmingham, before the Olympics, maybe one of the qualifiers, um, that Eurobasket team with Luau, Pops and all of them, and we're up north. And I think we've just gone to eat. It's myself, Justin... Um, Pops, Luau, all those guys. And we come out of Nando's and we're walking back to the hotel. And we hear some kid. I'm talking, I'm walking with Luau. Obviously, Luau's been in the NBA for how many years? Pops, EuroLeague, and in the NBA for how many years? I think I'm just for graduating college or, no, shoot, 2000, yeah, 2011, I think. Or maybe it's a Euro basket. And a random kid obviously played basketball and was like, yo, that's Matthew and Justin. <laughs> we and Dustin look at each other like, is this kid serious? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So it's just funny because, like, it's just different for everybody, you know, different exposure. You hear about this and you hear about that and you get different type of recognition. But um, for me, it was just, I just wanted to play the game. I just wanted to be around. I couldn't, at them ages now, you probably couldn't, you, you, the only place uh, minus, I guess, K54, which has a reinforced floor, you would never see me play outdoors. Mm. Do not play outdoors but, at all? At all. Really? My body, my knees, I'm getting older. It, it's just, yeah, it's not the same. Yeah. <laughs> but back then, anything, anything, any type of basketball I was there, any event, any anything from Brighton Beach to, I don't know, having runs at Turnpike Lane, like, I was there. In terms of the handle stuff, like, uh, where do you think that's come from? Like, you know... You, you're obviously a big guy that can handle the ball well and, and a decent vision as well for for a big for a guy of your size. Um, yeah. Is that just because you spent hours just dribbling the ball and then you kind of grew and it ended up, up sticking with you, or, or was there something? Else? Um, I think it was. I think it was more me playing older age groups. Um, 
I was playing with physically bigger people, so I was more of a guard. Right. So, being a guard growing up, and then obviously people <laughs> moving on to older age groups, and then me becoming the biggest kind of forced me to play in the post. But um, before that, um, yeah, I was more consistently playing on the perimeter um, back then. So it was kind of more natural to me. Now, are you happier in the post or do you prefer to mix it up a little bit? Oh, I mix it up um, as a pro. Um, I mix it up. Um, I kind of got forced because um, I played some three and whatnot in high school. Um it's kind of like when I got to college that I got forced more to play inside, and um, but as a pro, I would say I've, I've definitely I've been able to score the ball in a variety of different ways from a variety of different um, places on the court. So I kind of mix it up a lot more. I remember um, the tape, the high school tape of you. I'm sure <laughs> I must have that somewhere. Do you do you still have that? Yeah, um, it's on YouTube, to be honest. It's um, on YouTube. We've got to dig up. Because there's one dunk in that. Oh, it just sticks out in my mind. I remember when you first sent it to me. Because I think it was your brother that edited that. Was it your brother that no, edited it? No, I did that. Oh, did you? <laughs> or was it your brother yeah, that sent yeah. it to me? There was something to do with your brother in there. Yeah, I think it was my brother um, had forwarded it onto you or something. Yeah, uh, except, no, he had, um, yeah, once it was made, I think he had actually sent it to you. Like, I'd sent it home and he sent it to you. Yeah, and there's, yeah. oh man, like... Because the, At the, beat, end of it, the believe, beat is yeah. hype, and then there's just there was one dunk in it that is just so filthy. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it'd be, I'll have to. Uh, I'll try and dig that up and kind of get it out to to coincide with this, so people can kind of see the levels back in uh, back when you were <laughs> still in high school. Um, yeah. So the the recruiting the process, you know, everyone knows that you ended up going to to Washington. Um, yeah. What other schools were interested? Kind of, how did it all happen? How did it play out? Um, you know, what were your memories of kind of that, that whole recruitment process? Um, one thing with Washington was they was there from the beginning. Um, never wavered. They were actually came to recruit one of my teammates. Um, the first person to see me was the assistant coach Jim Shaw at the time. Um, he had come to see my teammate Gilbert Brown, who ended up going to Pittsburgh. Um, and there was like, you know, there's somebody else we need to be seriously taking a look at. It told Coach Romo. Um, and obviously, I go home. Like I said, I'd gone home, um, high school, um, for the summers. So I'd gone to play the national team. So nobody really knew me. End of my sophomore year, obviously, they knew the name. Obviously, I've been ranked by scouting reports and scouting services. But um, college coaches and stuff like that, um, nobody had really been aggressive with me to be honest um came back for my junior year um obviously talent wise they knew that we had talent obviously we didn't have a great year but um talent wise um like i said washington consistently speaking with coach romar speaking with coach 48 speaking with coach dollar um the host um, coach yourself to be honest um has been on me um, um my top i had the top 10 top five I think my top five was Washington, Wake, Forest, uh, Pittsburgh, Texas, and Yukon. Um, so like I said, I'd been getting interest, um, offers from all, um, all over the um, from all over the country. But um, kind of Washington had built had built a relationship with me, which was big for me personally, especially not being from home. Everybody when I actually committed, everybody was like, "He's going all the way from." 
connect to Seattle, Washington, all the way from the East Coast to the far West Coast. Uh, how did they end up doing that? But to me, it didn't really matter um, where in the States I was. I was already however many hours um, yeah. flying away from home anyway. So um, it wasn't really a big of a deal. Um, I committed at the end of my junior year. Um, excuse me. I committed at the end of my junior year. And um, for me, I think it just was the right fit. Um, they were coming off at the time back-to-back C-16s with Brandon Roy, Nate Robinson, and those guys. Um, they were up-tempo. Athletic like to get out the floor, run. Um, what I didn't realize, to be honest, at the time was um, how guard-dominated they was. Um, everybody, um, I guess back home, Syracuse was a school for me. I probably thought I was going to end up going to Syracuse, but they had committed two guys, um, power forwards um, in my in my class, in my age group, in my year. Um, so once they had done that, um, I kind of X them off my list. Um, and then, like I said, the game was wide, wide open, and um, ended up having a great relationship with Coach Romar, and went checked it out, loved it there, um, and then ended up committing. Um, after I actually committed, um, that's when it kind of got crazy. Um, previous summers I'd been um, back home for England. I told the national team coach I wasn't coming back home this summer and I was going to play AU and I've been invited to Nike All-American camp and, and I had a hell of a summer. Um, like I said, I dropped in the rankings from top 30, top 40 to maybe top 70 and... I had a hell of a summer. I played in AU with um, team final, um, which was a new AU team that was pretty much based around Tyreek Evans. Um, he was like the number one player in the year below me. Um, but we had a good team. Um, um, yeah, I was at Nike All-American, was an all-star at camp that year. And um, we had a good summer at AU and I had some good numbers. Um, play against some good guys and um, kind of shot back up the rankings and kind of colleges kind of kind of got reminded about who I was and why I was ranked where I was and that I think I went home for maybe a, a month and I come back to school and teammates recruited again guys that were seniors my senior year going into my senior year um, was getting recruited and every gym and every school country was in our gym from Florida, uh, to Yukon, to um coaches and talk about Billy Donovan, Rick Pitino, um, so big name guys and they're all asking, where's this kid going? Um, coaches telling them Washington and they're like, um, is he fully committed? Will he decommit? Can he get out of it? Blah, 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 um, which kind of just shows uh, my progression. And I think a lot of it was to do with confidence. Um, I knew it was my senior and it, it was going to be a team led by myself. Um, and I was playing like it, to be honest. Um, I'd worked hard and had a great summer and improved a lot. And um, we just went, wanted to go out there and compete and win. And um, we were doing that. We had probably the most talented team that I'd played on at South Kent. Um which, trust me, is a lot with the two years um, previous that I'd had. But uh, we had, I think we had maybe two Division One players on that team, um, which is very tough. Um, 
um, at prep school level as well because um, coaches will have maybe five or six that they use as their main rotation guys, but any given night could have been anybody that could put up 20 points, 20 plus points, um, mm. which was kind of perfect for me because I just wanted to go somewhere and win. And um, after the season had started, um, don't want to put him on blast. So I love him, but um, Isaiah, um, Isaiah Thomas um, wasn't um, handling his business in high school. And um, Coach Romar, he'd already committed to Washington at the time. Coach Romar was leaning towards him getting into prep school. And since I committed to Washington, I spoke to Coach Chilios about would he take him. Um, Coach Chilio said that i got to talk to my team first about my team before anything and spoke to me I was the team captain and I said as long as he helps him win he said he might take shots away from you he's a um, shot heavy guard but I said as long as we go out there and compete and he's given us a better chance of winning of course I'll take him so I ended up being teammates with Isaiah in high school before we got to Washington I never knew that wow so this, mm-hmm. that, this was all just in your senior year right? yeah senior year and who who else are you say that's the most talented uh, team that you played on aside from you and Isaiah? Were there other guys now that are playing professionally or guys that were not, that, that were big time back then? Uh, Mark Lyons, nickname is Cheeks. Um, he ended up going to Xavier and transferring to Arizona. Um, he's playing pro. He just actually won a championship last year um, in Israel um, for Maccabi Rishon. Um, which obviously, if you know anything about European basketball, Maccabi Tel Aviv is a big name team in Israel, and um, they ended up taking like Maccabi maybe won the last five years or so running, and his team um, dethroned them from winning the chip last year. Um, big time player. Um, hey guys, we're all over. A guy called um, Manny Cass. He went to Utah. Um, Dele Coco went to St. John's Papadia went to SMU um, yeah we had a whole bunch of guys um, so you averaged 20 and 12 on, on that team um, yeah were you the leading scorer? Uh, no Isaiah averaged um, 22 I believe oh nice and by that yeah. point so I've just I've just been searching just dug out some stuff so by that point uh, you were ranked 10th among power forwards number 44 overall by rivals um, whilst USA Today had you at number 34 in the nation overall. How, how yeah. much of attention did you pay to rankings and stuff back then? Um, at that time, you do. Um, you don't think... Well, to be honest, the, um, our league, the prep school league, was bloated. Um, game in and game out, I'm playing against top power forwards. Um, if you look at the list of the top 10... Um, um, I know Mike Beasley obviously is on there. He was in our league. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Um, those guys that were playing week in, week out. But um, perfect school is pretty much a man's league. Um, like I said, a lot of the time it's post-grads. So even like when I got there at the age of 16, um, I'm playing against 19, 20-year-olds. Um, so it's guys that are either haven't got the grades but are obviously good enough that they're Division One college ready and coaches will put them in a prep school so they can get do an extra year to get their grades right or whatnot. It's kind of like a JUCO, but taking any of your eligibility away. Yeah. So um, yeah, we're 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 playing um, a whole bunch of great teams and, and and loaded and loaded loaded personnel teams, so which is which was big for us. And uh, ranking wise, you just like if we go head to head, like I've got to go at him because 
I want his ranking or whatever it may be. And it's not necessarily that you want his ranking, but obviously everybody's dream um, at the end of high school to be uh, All-American, McDonald's All-American. And I knew I was on the fringe. I would get votes here and there. But to make the actual 20, 24 guys that make it is going to be really tough because my uh, high school class was loaded. Um, and that McDonald's game, obviously I didn't make it, but the guys that were in McDonald's game was Derek Rose, Kevin Love, Blake Griffin, Dante Green, JJ Hickson, um, from all the way up and down, up and down the list from big cigars, Eric Gordon, um, a lot of perennial NBA players now. So uh, you can see kind of like the talent that I had to go ahead and to be matched up against um, in that class. <clears throat> so then, after high school, you know, you, you go to Washington. Kind of now, you look back on your on your college career. What are your what are the memories that stand out? Um, how do you look back on it overall? Um, winning, just being a part of a winning program. Um, I won three rings in four years, um, which is obviously as in a in a BCS school, like a a, a, a high major school, and uh, in a conference like the Pac-10 is very difficult to do. Um, went to Sweet 16, obviously in the tournament, um, a couple second round appearances and whatnot, but um, I think just winning. Um, obviously, um, as a basketball player, you want to win. and um, It's just what we kind of went through is our transitional period, our freshman year. Um, we wasn't good. There was six teams that went to, not that we wasn't good, but um, the Pac-10 was actually loaded that year. And six teams went to the tournament. We were the seventh um, and just missed out. And um, after that, winning winning the league outright the following year and then predicted to win it and finish in third, but then winning the Pac-10 tournament my junior year and then obviously my senior year, um, being named All-Pac-10 um, first team and most improved player and uh, winning the Pac-10 tournament. Um, yeah, winning the Pac-10 tournament again um, was uh, big. And obviously, just looking back and to see like I played college for four years and being in the Pac-10 and winning three championships, um, three championship rings was, was was big for me. Now, like you know, you're forever going to be connected with with Washington. You know, how much are you still in touch with um, you know the guys that you played with, uh, the program as a whole, coaches and stuff like that. Um. But, um, a lot. One thing, if you don't go to school in the states, you won't realize is how how alumni and 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 um, former players are looked at. Um, I still talk to this day to Coach Romar. He was actually I was actually gave him a rundown. Yes, yeah, so we had a few a few connection problems. Um, but jumping back to where we where we left off, you were saying about um, being an alumni of Washington and the guys that you're in touch with and kind of the differences between. Uh, sort of being an alumni in England and being an alumni in the States. Can you kind of elaborate on that and kind of go into what you were saying? Um, yeah, just being an alumni in the States is kind of like being in a fraternity. Um, you're always in touch with guys, um, coaches and whatnot. Obviously, my head coach, Lorenzo Romar, he's still um, even to the point where I'm um, not last summer, last, last season, um, we had a in our schedule. I think it was in November, end of November, early December. We had three or four days off where I couldn't go back home to London. So um, I ended up catching a flight up to Seattle just to see the guys. Um, coaching stuff, obviously all my teammates have left. But um, 
but just the coaching staff and just old friends from Seattle. Um, just seeing a catch game, and it was like I never left. Um, got a standing ovation um, during the timeout of the game um, from the fans and whatnot, and just seeing everybody um, respecting and, and, and remembering who you are um, and what you've done for their program. Um, obviously, players-wise, I speak to um, everybody that I played with pretty much um, via social media. Um, obviously, I'm still in touch with Isaiah and, and um, Justin Holiday and Quincy Pondexter, Abdul um, Gaddy, pros, pros, NBA pros overseas. Um, we're going to keep a link uh, every month. Actually, get on WhatsApp or whatever, and, and have an actual conversation, and, and literally see how they're doing. But, um, with how the internet and everything is set up nowadays, like it's or, or at your fingertips away from having a conversation with somebody that, like I said, spent two, three, four years plus um, of your life with. And um, like I said, we all talk. We all still talk. When you when you look back on your college career now, and if I was to ask you to pick out one uh, highlight, like the sort of most memorable moment or the or the best moment, what would you say it was? There's a few, to be honest. Um, to say one in particular is tough. Like I said, um, we won we won some championships. So, like, um, cutting down the nets my sophomore year when we won the Pac-10 outright. Um, first time you dubbed it in, so in countless amount of years. Uh, junior year. Um, <laughs> I had that infamous dunk that... Um, On Zimmerman. Sports and yeah. <laughs> that um, I kind of even get hit up randomly today on Twitter from Washington fans about it. Um, and obviously we won the um, Pac-10 tournament that year. Um, went to the Sweet 16. Um, the my senior year. Um, senior night was big for me. Um, obviously, it's your last game in, in the arena, but um my mum and my brother got to come out and that was the first time they'd ever seen me play in the States. Um, especially as well, um, in four years, it was my last ever game. We ended up losing um, to USC, but um, just having them there and having them um, been able to see what I'd, I'd, I'd been through and witnessed and how the crowds and the fans and the excitement, the atmosphere that I'd been playing in the last four years was big, um, especially for my mum. Um, my brother is in photography. He got a press pass and got to you know um, take pictures on the baseline and on sideline of the court. Um, so just that experience, my senior year, and then obviously the accolades that came with it um, that year. Obviously, we won the um, Pac-10 tournament again, and um, like I said, I'd won um, all Pac-10 and most improved player. <clears throat> so I wanted to follow up on two things. Uh, the Zimmerman dunk, would you rank that as the best dunk of your career or is there another one that stands out? In college? Um, yeah. Um, I think there's another one that stands out. Um, for me, personally, everybody will talk about the Zimmerman one, but I think there was one that was overlooked. Um, we played Cal that year. Um, 
and they had a seven three. Um, I think he's Chinese, um, dude Max, um, and um, one of our teammates. He's about six eight, athlete, two feet. Um, dunked on him bad. Um, a lot of body contact, um, and I remember telling our head manager, our team manager. Um, if Darnell catches him, I've got to catch him before the end of this game. <laughs> so we kind of drew up a play. It's usually that year we had Quincy Pondexter. Uh, we usually draw it up for Quincy, catch it at one elbow, and it should just drive hard right. They're going to clear it out, drive hard right. You catch it on the left elbow. If you're facing the rim, catch it on the left elbow. They've cleared up that side, the right side, and you just drive kind of middle. Um, and um, it was on the mix that you did, but it doesn't really get recognition because of the camera angle it was at. But um, I kind of coil on the wing. I mean, coil the elbow, sweep through, took one dribble, and just right, left. If anybody that knows me see me play, um, if you let me go off one foot off my left leg, that's, my, that's just perfect for me. And I kind of <laughs> took off, kept it in one hand, and they um, I dunked it. But I was so far from the rim, I kind of had to, like, Blake Griffin throw it in. Um, and I just remember, like, landing on... Um, I just remember landing, uh, not on my feet, like, on the floor, literally, and then looking at the bench, and the whole bench kind of just looked at me shocked. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my days. And then I just ran back down the court. I usually, you know, yell or scream or whatever, just form my personality when I play, when I dunk or dunk on somebody. And I legit just got up and just ran down the court. And Coach Romar to this day always says his favorite part about that whole thing is that was the first time he'd never seen me scream after Duncan or somebody. <laughs> I'll have to. Um, back on yeah. I'll have to try and see whether I've got the the raw the raw clip of it, which I'm. I mean, I must have somewhere on a hard drive, and see whether yeah. I can just pull it out and, and vine it or Instagram it or something at some point in the in the coming weeks. Um, <laughs> so. And the second question I wanted to ask, um, you mentioned crowds and stuff. What was the sort of average attendance you were playing in front of at college? Um, average? Um, well, we sat, I want to say 10,000. Um, but we was close to being sold out after, or like once mid, mid my sophomore year. Like I said, we wasn't that good. Um, we was okay. We wasn't bad. Well, it wasn't that good my uh, freshman year, but um, sophomore year, once we kind of pack, like we have our non-conference schedule, uh, which doesn't usually get big, but then like we 10 play and we was winning games and we started on a little run. Um, I think we ended up finishing 14-4, and four, I think, in the pack 10 and going, um, winning it outright, but like about halfway through and people could see that we was on the potential to um, win the league, we started selling out. And that on, to be honest, um, like once we won it that year, and then after that, um, my sophomore year predicted to win the league was a top three team, and the same thing my senior year, we pretty much started selling out. Um, we kind of brought it back because uh, we had a few down years in between. Um, like I said, my freshman year, the year before that, they um, were supposed to be good, but it wasn't that good. Um, and obviously before that, it was Brandon Roy's era. And um, those guys were winning and, and nationally known, nationally ranked. Um, we kind of went back to the level when, like, one um, UW is rocking. Um, we have, like, one of the biggest um, and best um, 
student sections, um, known as a dog pack. Um, as they get going, they're standing, screaming the whole 40 minutes of the game. What was it like for you on campus, you know, when you walked around, especially, you know, when you got into your junior senior year and you were playing, obviously, a much bigger role? Um, you know, how, how many students are at Washington? Uh, 40,000. Wow. And what was it like for you to walk around campus? Was it literally like being a celebrity on campus? Yes and no. Um, we were very down to earth, to be honest. Um, our team is... Um, one of my favorite teammates is Justin Holiday. He's, he's a goofball, I and mean, he's kind of like we're like we're, we're but it's not just it's weird because it's not just him. Like there's a lot of us are like that. So like where people used to try and make it like on oh, my days, that's but we'd just be around chilling, having conversations, whatever it may be. Um, it wasn't really kind of like a celeb status. I think the only time like junior senior year was like that was. Um, we started obviously getting ranked um, top 20 and whatnot in the country. And um, obviously by that time, Sonics had left. So um, it was kind of like our city, to be honest. Uh, once the Sonics had left, there was no NBA team. A lot of people um, in the city used to come to watch our games. Um, NFL, Seahawks guys, um, NFL guys used to come to the city. Um, so once we would be out downtown Seattle or whatnot, then people kind of look at us in a certain way. It's different when it's kids your own age, but then when you see adults and little kids and whatnot and asking for autographs and whatnot as college students, um, that's kind of when it gets to, you kind of think like, all right, well, yeah, I think, but I think that's more so to do with the C, um, the Sonics um, franchise moving to Oklahoma and us kind of being the main attraction basketball-wise. When did they, when did they move? When uh, what year did they move? Like in what year when you were in college still? Um, I want to say it was, uh, no, no, they had already left. They'd already uh, left. Um, I, I think it was as I can't remember the exact year that they left, but I want to say it's either as I got there or maybe the year after. Because I remember, to be honest, I remember I believe early my that first summer. Um, going into my freshman year, I remember Kevin Durant um, in the mall because um, he um, he was with the um, Seattle, yeah. obviously. But I want to say it was that year that they actually got moved. So, like, obviously, it's a whole different ball game when you start winning. Like I said, even like a freshman, like, it wasn't that big of a deal. And I wasn't um, a huge role on the team as well. So it wasn't that big of a deal. But, like, once you're winning and you're nationally known as one of the best teams in the country and ranked in the top 10, ranked in the top 15, then kind of things start opening up. People actually want to come to see you. How would you compare the um, the fans in college compared to the teams that you've been at in the pros? Like, Would you say that it was... Uh, big, like you were almost perceived as a bigger star in college, or would you say at certain teams you've been at, you've had more celebrity, so to speak? Um, very, very interesting. Um, Europe, certain places in Europe, like Serbia, um, is ridiculous. Um, I was actually having that conversation earlier today with somebody that, like, um, I think I've told you, like, having flares and fireworks and crackers and whatnot during the games, like, um, the atmosphere is unbelievable. Um, Serbia, um, obviously, 
we had rivalries with Partizan and Red Star, which are some of the you know top teams in Europe. Um, but um, it's a little, they're very similar in certain ways, in certain retrospect. Um, France was very much like college, um, big big crowds, um, but not too crazy. Back in Serbia, they get the kind of hooligan type fans where it's a different level where you can around or be as crazy as you was in college, but they can go over the top where you have to have barricades and police around the side of the court to make it all nothing crazy as but they can still carry on and doesn't have to stop because of the fans. Um, Mexico, the year that I won the championship, um, that might have been the loudest arena I've ever played in. Um, it was one point, I think, um, during the finals um, where we made a run to come back and one of my point guard hits a deep three um, to go into to go into the end of the third quarter and when I mean the cheers that happened it got so loud where um, it actually felt like I turned deaf to the point <laughs> where like I'm hearing screaming hearing literally until maybe I don't know we get into a huddle and then I kind of like ring my ears to get my hearing back wow. so um they're different type of atmospheres, to be honest. Um, like I said, um, college, college, obviously, you can't get too crazy. Um, but the hooligan side of things, um, Europe will definitely win. <clears throat> so, when your college career started wrapping up, um, there was a lot of talk of the NBA, and you kind of that was when you you, you were on the sort of the NBA workout circuit and stuff. Um, yeah, you know what was in your mind uh, when you graduated? Were you did you one hundred percent believe that uh, you were going to the league? You were going to get drafted? Um, kind of what was the process upon graduation to then like working out for teams and hiring an agent and all that kind of stuff? Um, so college season finishes in March. Um, we just lost North Carolina. I think I took a few days, maybe a week off, and then you start getting ready for workouts. Um, I'm in the gym going crazy. Um, probably between a couple hours shooting in the morning, full workout, um, basketball workout that is, um, with a trainer um, during the day and then a couple hours at night um, getting more shots up um, on top of trying to fit in class when you can. Obviously, classes are winding down as the school year is finishing anyway. Um, And at that time, I'm pretty much done with a majority of my my requirements um, for my degree. But... um, Yes, 100% believe I was going to get drafted. Um, I had some great workouts um, and a few, which was good for me against guys that were predicted to be first-round guys and high first-round guys and lottery guys. Um, and obviously with that going on, um, obviously my numbers, I averaged about 16 and 8. Um, like I said, we won. We did. Uh, we had, so I'm on a good team. 
a winning team um, in a big conference um, and being one of the main guys on the team, um, definitely believed I was going to get drafted. Um, but you're just focused on on become better, I guess. Um, my knock was, one of my knocks was um, we had so many great guards um, with Isaiah Thomas, um, obviously with Boston Celtics now, Terrence Ross, who's with Toronto Raptors, Justin Holiday, who's with the Knicks, CJ Wilcox, who's with Orlando Magic right now. Like These are all my guards. I didn't shoot a lot of jumpers. They didn't know if I could constantly hit um, 15 to 18 foot um, jump shot. So it was something that I, I worked on countless hours. I would never say I was a bad shooter, but to knock somebody's stereotype, um, you have to kind of prove that you're better than average. Um, so it's something that I continued hard to work on throughout the time. Um, after the season, I played in the Portsmouth Invitational, which is in my only for the top um, top 30 to 60, I think, um, seniors. Um, and I kind of had a great, great, Great show in there. Um, was all Portsmouth first team, um, averaged 17 and 7 um, in three games. And um, yeah, like I said, was all Portsmouth first team, top five there in camp. After that, um, you know, reading stuff, I'm getting right up. Somebody that improved their stock um, for the NBA draft this year was myself, that I'd done this, that I'd done that, that I'd proven that I could do this, proven that I could do that. And just seeing that kind of stuff, obviously I'm on draft boards, but you can never trust draft boards. But seeing that stuff on NBA.com from analysts and and critics um, is good and something that um, obviously you believe um, will help for your GMs and whatnot, the guys that decision makers are um, hopefully this thing. Um, obviously that's going on. Graduation happens in May. Um, so we walk and then um, it's just finishing up. We're going through the circuit. Um, I probably worked out for maybe 12, 12 to 15 teams. Um, had some really good ones. Um, but the thing about draft night is you never know. Um, you could legit get promised a spot at this pick, but if you're not their first choice and somebody who they thought was off the board would be off the board at that time isn't there, um, they might take that person ahead of you, which kind of swings everything out of proportion for everybody else. Nobody knows where somebody's going to go. So if you're in the Knicks GM um, room and you expect LA to take this person, LA doesn't, and you've got the next pick and you can take who they thought you thought they was going to take in, it's never a certainty. Uh, once my name didn't get called, probably the worst day of my life, um, the longest night for sure of my life. And um, it was just about moving on. The worst part, I would believe, in that situation for me was it was the year of the lockout. Um, so after the draft, everything shut down. There's no workouts, there's no mini camps, there's no summer league, um, there's no training camp. Um, even if I didn't get drafted, I still believe I would have made the team. The way I'd been working out, um, and if there was a training camp coming up in October of that year, um, I believe I would have obviously definitely been invited to training camp with a team with a roster spot open. I think I would have made a team, but with 
the NBA not happening right away. Um, I was the next phase for me was finding a job. Um, other guys um, had waited. Obviously, the league didn't start up until Christmas Day. Um, there was maybe a week long training camp before. But um, my son. Uh, and obviously I needed to provide for him and my family. So I, I wanted to um, get secure a job so I could provide for him instead of waiting in and out and not knowing what's going to happen. Wow. I, yeah, I forgot, that, I forgot that it was the year of the lockout. Um, yeah, I completely forgot. Um, and then from there, you know, what? Uh, like I said to you earlier, I think... Um, I don't want to go into any of the pro stuff at this point because I feel like we should save that for a part two because we've already we're approaching an hour and a half ish I think if if I add up all the conversations, um, but just to to wrap things up I did want to just ask about kind of the agent agent uh, process like how did you end up um, signing with an agent who did you sign with um, kind of how did you make that decision how does it all come about? Um, so I, I ended up signing up with Interperformance. Uh, um... Saying that, I can only understand where he came from. But at the same time, because I've been around Luar so much, because I've been around Ronald so much, for me it wasn't really much of a uh, it was it was really much a no brainer. You know what I mean? Somebody that's been part of the game knows what they're doing. From what I've seen, done a great job, and um, that a good relationship. I'm to speak to on a pretty basis. Times a week, so uh, it's somebody that I'll enjoy having a good relationship with. That have obviously got pros that know it and doing the best of the guys, and uh, that's why I ended up going with into performances. Um, obviously, it's a bit different because they have the American side of things and the European side of things. It kind of changes over. So once, obviously, I didn't get drafted, and um, I ended up in Europe. I kind of passed on to the European side. Obviously, he doesn't know me. He doesn't. Game. He doesn't know the type of my type of game, um, the ins and outs of my game, which love. So since then, I've moved on um, from that company. I'm now with U Force Sports, um, but it's just it's just interesting thing. It's kind of like um, choosing your college. You got to find somebody that's going to be it's a perfect fit for you. Um, I was having this conversation the other day, like there's a lot of bad agents out there, but there's also a lot of good agents out there. But it's about finding the right person for you and uh, making sure it's going to be a good fit. Perfect. I think that's a perfect place to leave it because the connection is starting to get a little bit dodgy as well. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's been an amazing conversation and we will definitely speak again in the next few weeks. Hopefully when maybe you're back home and you want a better Wi-Fi connection um, and we will talk um, your pro career and all the teams that you've paid for. All right, all right. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thanks for having me. 
You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.